Looking forward to the conversation. You know, a little bit about me, I guess. Um, you know, I am in Canada. Uh, I am Canadian, uh, born and raised um, in the province of Quebec, which is the French province of Canada. And um, I came up, you know, uh, playing sports like like a lot of young people. Um, never played ice hockey. That wasn't uh, was never on, you know, in, in the cards for me. Uh, my um, my father uh, and mother uh, never played hockey themselves. And my father was an Italian American um, who came to Canada, you know, after he married my wife or my mother. Um, and, um, you know, we, we just ended up playing like a lot of American sports, I guess, basketball uh, being, I guess, at the top of the list, but baseball uh, being another one. I swam, played some football, um, you know, played a little bit of soccer. And uh, so we all, you know, kind of ran up, ran up the, uh, the gamut of, of the uh, youth sports that we could play. And I've just been fortunate. You know, I, I grew up, as I said, in Quebec, I moved out West, went to university, moved out West, went to graduate school uh, in onto the, the West coast of the country and um, kind of always had been involved in the game of basketball coaching. I, I played through college. I started coaching young. I've been coaching now 23 plus years. Um, most of that has been at the, you know, college, university or pro levels. And, um, you know, it's brought me around the world, man. And sports just been a blessing to, to our family. My wife and I, we've been fortunate to live in Australia twice, spend time in India, travel across Canada. Um, you know, I'm an American citizen as well. So, you know, we've gone down south and done some things. And so we, you know, really um, appreciate what sport has brought to us and what it means to us ongoing now. We have three children, uh, nine, six, and three. Um, hence the 13 and under practice that I was at, uh, you know, about an hour ago uh, with our oldest. Uh, and um, yeah, like now what I do, I, I work at a college um, and um, I spend a lot of time mentoring coaches, uh, working with uh, youth sports, grassroots coaches, also higher performance coaches at the elite levels. All over the world, I, I still maintain relationships with um, a lot of clubs and coaches in Australia, and I, I'm closely connected with them. And I just try to speak to them on an ongoing basis about, you know, how to be how to be impactful as a coach. And I'm passionate about about what sport can be uh, in someone's life and uh, what it can bring to our communities. And I'm just excited to to share a little bit about that. So. Tell us about what you're involved with right now, what you're doing right now. You talked about uh, you're involved with working with coaches. I know we, we've, we've caught up before and had conversations about different aspects. So tell us really about what, what your involvement is now with, with what you're doing in, in grass, particularly, I guess, in grassroots sport or where you are. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So I do a couple different things. The, the first thing that I do is here locally in the Vancouver area, I work with um, a number of different youth basketball clubs. Um, I am a director of one particular club uh, and I uh, manage high performance and coaching development at, uh, at our particular club. But I also work with uh, a series of other clubs and, and we've formed a, a grouping where we can uh, collaborate and uh, share best practices. We formed a, a competition, like a league together, um, some standards and things like that. And 
Um, you know, that's one aspect of what I do. Um, I also am a high performance consultant. And so I, I have um, members of my team. Basically, we, we, we communicate on an ongoing basis. I work with either organizations or coaches uh, to help seed um, information. I mentor uh, coaches one-on-one -on -one, uh, or in groups where, um, you know, I, I try my best to help coaches move uh, along the spectrum from a transactional old school kind of approach to sport uh, towards a transformational human um, athlete centered um, approach. So, you know, and, and obviously when it comes to basketball, there is a technical aspect and a tactical aspect. And I work with basketball coaches on that, but a lot of my mentoring is with um, coaches that are not basketball coaches because when we, whatever sport we coach, we are coaching a human being and human beings are, um, there are some, you know, some commonalities, of course, between, between all of us, no matter what sport we play or where we live in the world. So I'm lucky to spend time with coaches in, in, a, in a bunch of different sporting codes. Kieran? Um, you said that you were mentoring um, some coaches and, uh, and uh, so forth. How has the mentoring of them um, helped you? Like, like, has that helped you grow? And like, has that helped you um, um, enhance um, your game? I mean, uh, um, especially um, taking like um, ideas from like um, 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 other codes um, and whatnot and, and putting them into practice in basketball? Yeah, 100%, 100%. You know, one of the, one of the greatest uh, benefits that you have by just talking with other coaches is you learn, right? Um, informal learning in coaching is so critical, so critical. Um, and, and the informal learning comes, you know, via the relationships and, and just the chats that you might have. Um, you know, for example, I remember when I was in Australia, one of my favorite things were these coaches breakfasts that you, you know, we might have at a cafe on a Wednesday morning, right? Um, and just sitting down and saying, hey, like, what are you, what are you struggling with right now, right? Like what, you know, what, what are you facing as a challenge with your 14 and under whatever team or sport or, you know? And a, a lot of the times it's, uh, these things are similar uh, one to the other. So I've, I keep learning every single time I, 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 I talk, I'm gonna learn tonight, I, you know, I'm sure. So, um, that's been a great benefit to me, great benefit to me. And, and then in terms of different sport, sporting codes, I mean, I cannot tell you how, how many times I've taken something from tennis, I've taken something from rugby, AFL, um, you know, and you name it, okay? I, I, spent, I spent a number of time, a number of, uh, of years, and I still do this now, but it's been a number of years since I've started where every year, I select a number of sports that are not my own. And I, I intentionally am going to study some element of the sport. And sometimes what that means is, you know, I might identify some popular literature. Okay. So a book, a book here, a book there. And I might, I'll pick up that book. I'll read it. And I don't, I don't know anything about, you know, football strategy or, you know, soccer strategy or rugby strategy, or I, I don't know anything about that. 
Okay. Um, but what I do understand is what it's like to try and unite a group and build a culture and create an identity and, you know, encourage buy-in, build relationships. And, you know, I found that I've learned a lot from the individual sports. Um, you know, one of my, um, yeah. So for example, I read a book by Bob Bowman, who was Michael Phelps's coach and, you know, really good book. And I mean, there is an individual, one coach, one athlete, no other team element other than the relays and things. Um, but super insightful about what that relationship is like that one-on-one, right? Cause in reality, we might have a team, um, but we're coaching each individual as if it's an individual sport as well um, in a lot of ways. So hundred percent, I, I, I love that um, cross section of info and just the, the pollinating of ideas. Uh, it's, it's actually really cool to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because um, one of um because um, um, in the AFL, one of the um, um, coaches here in the AFL, um, Alistair Clarkson, he actually says um, uh, every year he always um, goes um, to America or, um, or to Canada and um, tries to um, um, study like, um, like a team from a professional and try and um, take that from um, and try and um, implement um, into his coaching and whatnot. So it's actually good to actually hear how that's actually sort of worked and, and, and that it's actually working and whatnot. Uh, Jerome, have you? I, I do want to. I do want to touch on. We can never. We can never do these interviews without obviously going to the biggest issue that has dog sport for the last twelve months or more. Where you are, David? How's has the pandemic affected? Um, has it has it affected sport? Has it particularly affected obviously uh, youth sport and, and grassroots sport where you are at the moment? Yeah, it definitely has. Um, you know, we have gone through a, a cycle, um, much like Australia, Canada is a federated state. So we have provinces here and each province has its own, you know, ways of dealing with the pandemic. Um, you know, here in British Columbia, uh, we kind of have experienced some ups and downs like like everywhere else I guess um, early on you know we moved from Alberta I was an athletic director at a at a college in Alberta and and you know we moved back to British Columbia where my wife is from um, in the spring of uh, 2020 and so you know arriving into BC here now um, things were kind of like almost normal, almost normal. Um, and there was a, you know, good opportunity for, um, especially starting in July, things opened up, we were practicing, there was a whole lot of activity happening um, through the summer and fall, no competition. Um, but, uh, you know, people were able to, to create some training cohorts, and then, you know, maybe compete within those cohorts. This past year, I, I, I spent the year coaching at a, a, a collegiate team. And, um, you know, in October, we were competing, like within our team, we weren't competing against other people. So it's, it's, it's been up and down, like the, the seasons have been canceled. Um, now we are kind of in a, in a down phase, 
uh, where our numbers are spiking uh, and, um, you know, we are kind of in a bad spot overall, but youth sport has been allowed to continue training. Um, just no competition, uh, even within your practices. So it's been a, it's been a journey, like all of our clubs in our, in our group, um, you know, have experienced membership drains and, um, you know, sponsorship drains. And of course it's, it's created a, a, a gap, a hole, uh, for a lot of these organizations. Right. So it's been real challenging. It's been real challenging. We've talked about it and, and I know you've, we've, talked about it in group conversations, we talked about it between the two of us as well. Um, and we, and we, when you look from afar, you see that there are some quite some significant issues going on with sport, particularly grassroots youth sport in North America. Um, are you able to sort of elaborate what's, what, what's going wrong there? Why, why does it look like that the systems are perhaps not achieve are not as effective as they should be you know we're seeing issues with coaches you know we've we've seen issues with coaches uh striking kids um scandals with coaches doing very what's what's going on there at the moment yeah yeah that's a good question um i would say in canada um we i i don't feel as if we fully committed to one model or the other. And if I were to create a dichotomy, if I were just to say like, here are two models, I know there are many more, but the, the American model is uh, unique uh, in, most, in most respects. And because we are so close to them and because we are so interconnected with them, um, like in every way, um, that I feel like we have gravitated more towards their model on a lot of different topics, including sport. Um, and if there is another side, there is the sort of federated model with a top-down structure, well-resourced. There's an AIS. Um, there's a, you know, a French National Institute of Sport uh, at the INSEP. You know, there are these structures that exist and that are supported to create um, a sport development pathway um, that leads towards, you know, high achievement. Whereas in the American, in, in the American model, it's very decentralized. It's very almost like something's going to, by sheer force of numbers and sheer force of will, um, you know, they, they create champions. Um, and in Canada, we just don't have the numbers to do that, right? We're only 38 million or whatever we are now. And, uh, you know, clearly we're not 330 million. So we have a, a much smaller window uh, in terms of our population to find just naturally for these athletes to, 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 to percolate up. And what that's resulted in is um, the American model has ballooned into this gigantic industry. Um, and it's a, a multi-billion dollar industry, um, which in and of itself does not mean that it's a bad thing. Um, however, when the dollar is prioritized over the child, um, then that is a very bad thing. And um, it's not happening everywhere in every corner of every sport and every club, uh, but it's happening too often. Uh, and in Canada, we have 
some sports that are, as we were discussing the other day, we have some sports that are, are very federated, if I were to choose that name for that model. And, um, you know, hockey, ice hockey, you know, and of course, being the lifeblood of the country, you know, there is a, a lot of resources that's being poured into. There's a lot of structure, there's a lot of development, and it's, it's well built. Um, other sports like my sport, uh, Basketball Canada is, is trying really hard. Our provincial associations are, are trying hard, but there is uh, quite a bit of decentralization, which means that if a group of people do not self-organize themselves with sort of the right values and the right principles, it can really create a difficult situation, right? Um, and that's one of the reasons why I've been um, you know, trying to work with like-minded uh, sport clubs to be able to come together and work together so that we are, okay, priority, it is still a market-driven model. It is, there are membership fees and there are costs to these things. It's not charity. It's not volunteer um, necessarily. But the point is that, you know, the priority and the emphasis is always on the experience of the child, the experience of the athlete and the impact that their participation has on them versus what will the impact of that child's participation be on me as the adult, right? Um, and, and so it's not just from a, it's also from a parenting perspective, right? Like there's a lot of work to be done to communicate and to, to maybe educate parents on, on the realities of why the vast majority of young people play sport. And it is not to become a professional. It is not to become a professional. It is to spend time with friends. It is to get physical activity. It is to, you know, experience high emotion uh, in a, you know, in a, in a cool environment and to compete and stuff like that. Like the vast majority are not going to become professional athletes. And so the 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 uh, interaction with that experience, I think, also needs to be rethought uh, from a parenting uh, perspective as well, uh, in terms of like what are the, what what is my child gaining? What is my athlete gaining from participating? Is it impacting their life, or is it am I living through them? Right, there's a whole lot going on, um, but it, it stems from a culture, right? It stems from a culture. And um, it's not just about how we organize it. It's about how we view it uh, as well, culturally. And I'm seeing a lot of positive signs, honestly. Like I I've experienced the Australian sports culture as well. I, I know that there are pros and cons to all sort, you know, everywhere. Um, but um, I, I, feel, I feel like that, you know, encapsulates, in my opinion, some of the big picture items. Karen? You said that... Um that um sport over there in canada it you could say it's um half and half you know like like federate and um more so with the americans um system and whatnot would you sort of would you rather be more um how do i say all in all in one basket or then non i mean then then split or would you prefer to be split and um also, which way would you prefer it, the American or the federate yeah. system, as you would say? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, great question. Um, I mean, I 
I I have a political science background, and so I'm a I'm a fan of organizations. I uh, I, I like organizations. Um, I like being organized. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, my uh, my my instinct says that if you have a healthy mix of um, variety, flexibility, adaptability, being nimble, that comes from the market. Like that's what the market is. The market is supposed to be all of those things, right? Um, and if you have a healthy mix of all of the good things that come from um, from that side of the equation and you combine it with um, a well-organized environment where there are standards and there are the rules of the game, so to speak, that are um, established and enforced and, and improved upon, um, then that brings stability, right? Like when you think about, when you think, when you think about the market, like the economy, what the government does is provide stability. It provides price stability because people can't do X, Y, or Z to, to cheat the system, right? That's, it's, that's what it's supposed to do. And our sporting system needs the same thing. Our sporting system needs the rules of the game to be established so that everybody understands how we are playing the game, right? Um, and, um, and then if we have that and we can combine it with the creativity of, of you know, um, a decentralized model, then I think we could have the best of both worlds. So I don't think that the Canadian system is faulty. I, I think it's poorly executed. Uh, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, but, you know, I, I, I believe this, that most people that are involved in sport, like the vast majority of people involved in sport, I think have good intentions. Uh, they, they, they mean well, they, they try hard. Um, and, you know, hopefully one of the things that we can do is help people who mean well, have good intentions and, and are wanting to try hard, we can equip them with information um, and some, some advice on how to take all of their good intentions and their hard work and make it um, practical and make it impactful for the people that are in front of them, right? Like, because most of the people that are involved in sport, honestly, are not professionals either, right? Like the, the people that have the biggest reach the biggest reach into the into the sports world are the volunteer run clubs with a board of directors and people that are just trying to organize fixtures yeah and they're yeah. they're just trying to get teams together that and the the parents are it's a parent who coaches and and they haven't played since they were 15 or you know like this is real life right and i believe that it's these people these volunteers or these uh, parents that have the biggest reach, the biggest impact, um, and they get the least support. So it's, I think it's on those of us that have been fortunate to kind of be in the game for a long time or be in the sports world for a long time and have been able to make a career out of what it's, it's on us to say, okay, like, how do we, how can we help? How, how can we help you? Not, Hey, listen to what I have to say and do what I tell you. It's what do you need? How can I help you? Mm -hmm. Right. And hopefully, you know, there could be a piece of advice or there could be, you know, um, some, some information sharing that can make us all better. Jerome. Um, 
we, we we've talked about it, and, and I think it, it, you know, David, you've you've, you've touched on it there. We, you know, we're now into the twenty first century um, with junior and youth sport. You know, the model that we're using, even here in Australia, for junior and youth sport, is a model that was designed uh, for the twentieth century. Do you think we've we've reached a point where we need we need a new way of doing things in the 21st century. We need to think differently now, particularly now that we're coming out when we're going to be post pandemic soon, is it time for us to start thinking about a new way of doing of operating when, when it comes to junior and youth sport for the, you know, for the future going forward? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think that that is uh, a necessity across most things. Um, or at least a lot of things when it comes to sport. Uh, when it comes to youth sport, I think the the connectivity of of the generations that are coming up through the game, um, connectivity to each other, connectivity to their technology, um, connectivity to the wider world, um, is uh, a game changer. And um, I think that people like us who are involved in sport, involved in organizing youth sport, involved in coaching youth sport, involved in promoting youth sport. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a new problem that we need to solve and a new problem can't be solved with old solutions. Uh, so yes, I, I, I believe 100% that uh, adaptations are required to make us more effective at tackling these new problems, right? Whether it's whether it's retention, whether it's participation, um, whether it's more, and frankly, I believe there's probably a case to be made for a much broader participation strategy that modifies games, that modifies the sport more extensively. Um, for example, in my sport, why does the rim have to be 10 feet for everybody? Why does uh, why do, why is it five people on the court? You know, obviously FIBA has already moved with, you know, uh, three on three and it's an Olympic sport. And, you know, there's a lot of great stuff happening. Three on three hustle down there with the NBL. Um, you know, there's a lot of great. And so that that's modification. Right. Um, but, you know, there, there is a lot more that needs to happen uh, and before we can uh, genuinely get, you know, the, the greatest, uh, impact on uh, solving the challenges that are in front of us right now. You talk about the modifying of sport there, and 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 I think that's an interesting topic because you know, take the sport of field hockey where I am. They want to create a modified version of the sport, but they're ramming a version that they think works down the throat of everybody instead of letting it, perhaps letting it evolve. Do you think that these modified versions of sport you're talking about should we should we allow the sports to evolve them themselves? Or is it something that governance, government administration says, well, no, this is what we're doing and this is how it's going to be and that's it? Or should we, as I say, should we be allowing this to evolve it through the participation model, allowing it to evolve itself? Yeah, I think it's both end, you know. Um, I, I think because there are multiple different objectives, right? Like there, there's the objective of the national federations and the you know, territorial, state, provincial, whatever, you know, regional um, associations, like they, they have objectives to 
develop talent, funnel talent into the national program, into the national pathway towards national teams. Okay. Like there is a, a real competitive um, sort of objective there as, as, as a major component of what they do. Um, and of course, then they, everyone has a participation grassroots wing uh, to what they do. And those two things do not need to be done the same way. They don't need to be thought of the same way. Um, I think a major change that I'm seeing um, more and more, and I hope that it continues, is um, like an acceptance of the fact that, uh, and a celebration. In fact, I'll tell you something. Um, it, was, it was when I was last in Australia, I really felt that for the first time. And it, it kind of opened my eyes to this being a thing. And I, I looked for it in more places. And I, I can't say Australia started it, but to, in my experience, it was the first place that I noticed it. And what I'm talking about is this notion of it, it's everyone's game. Like that's, I think literally it was the, the, the like the tagline for basketball. Um, but it, the way that that was expressed and then developed, like implemented, meant that, you know, it wasn't just about going on to play for the Opals or going on to play for the, for the Boomers. Like it, it wasn't about that. You could play basketball. You could play basketball as a junior at the 14 level. And that was celebrated. And one thing that I really appreciated was how they celebrated officiating, how that was an actual thing that, a, you know, a young person could say, I want to be in the game. Mm. And, uh, but I, I don't want to play or, you know, whatever the case may be, I'm going to pick up a whistle and learn how to, how to officiate. And, and so what I'm trying to get at is, I think there needs to be a both and approach where we celebrate the fact that, you know, on the local, you can play your sport in a modified way that works for your audience in a way that engages them, gets them excited about the sport, wants, keeps them coming back for more healthier lifestyle, you know, impacts on healthcare, like you name it. Okay. All, all the stuff that comes from physical activity. And, and then you have this other side where eventually people might stream off and get into this, this pathway, this, this artery of, of high performance. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with, with either. In fact, they're both important. And there's probably more arteries that need to be developed mm -hmm. um, to kind of capture as many people as possible into the, um, into the sporting envelope, right? So you know, I, I, I kind of look at it as, uh, as a, as a bit of a agent of chaos. Like I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy there being all of this creative destruction, right. That happens over on this side and, uh, channeling my economics background there, you know, like that creative destruction. And yeah. then, and, and then, and then over here, like, yeah, you know, we have a real, you know, thing, there's a real thing that happens over here too. So we have to pay we have to pay attention to both. Karen? Oh, I was just I was just about to say, um, here in Australia, um, for the sport of soccer, we have uh, modified games for when they start playing from six all the way up until um, particularly in my particularly um, in my state of, of New South Wales, up and until 
12 before they can start playing on the big field. And it, and it, and it engages more of the, and it, and it engages um, more of the kids. And it seems like that it's having more, um, it seems like that they're having more fun, but it also helps them develop their skills. Do you think that that there um, could, could that, could that there sort of be a way of maybe starting out um, in sports of, of like having younger, um, more modified games to help teach the basics of the skills. And then as they then slowly get older, if they want to go to, you know, play um, like say like basketball, they want to make it like a big professional career um, or try and make it there, then they can um, push it in that way. But then the, but, but at least they know the skills of it. Do you think that could be a way? And, and, and does Canada do something like that? Absolutely. Yes. And absolutely. Yes. And I would say also that, uh, no matter the level or the age or the skill um, of the athlete, I think modified games, constrained, constrained environments, small-sided games, all of these different things are critical to, um, to learning how to play, to developing the game sense and the skill set, like the technical skill um, that comes with, with a sport, but also just the game sense, just that you know, what we used to call, maybe we still do call maybe uh, basketball IQ, right. Or in our, in our sport, um, I've, I've really tried to start calling that game sense as much as possible. Um, and because what, what it is that we're really teaching is how to play the game, how to play the game and learning how to play the game is a lot easier when you actually play the game. Like, think about that. Yeah. If, if I want to yeah. learn how to ride a bike, I need to ride the bike, you know, and I, I can, I can watch other people ride. I can, you know, but at some point I'm going to have to get onto the bike and think about how we, how we teach uh, children to ride a bike. They start off in a modified game, right? Like the, the little ones are on, are on the little walk bikes. They, they have the little tricycles. Okay. They got the, they got the security, the little stabilizers at the back and they graduate and they graduate and they graduate. I mean, it's the same idea, right? Mm. Um, and, and think about it like it's, it's in anything. When our oldest is in, you know, grade three, I mean, they're not doing advanced calculus in grade three. They're doing the, what they need to do in grade three to be able to move on to grade four and five and six so that eventually they can arrive. They, and they're doing it in modified games. It's the same idea. Learning is learning. So our, our ability to take sport and to make it relevant for the learner, the athlete, is, is really on us as the adults in the youth sport case. Um, it's really on us to understand like, Okay, this is not about me giving a coaching clinic to this group of, of, of children. And I'm not talking to coaches. I'm talking, I'm talking to athletes. I'm talking to kids. I need to create an environment where they are going to practice the skills that they actually want to do. Okay, first of all, we say all the time, like, you don't join a basketball team to run track, to run lines, right? To do run sprints. If you spend all your time running sprints, you should have joined the track team. And I tell coaches, if, if your team runs sprints all like you should coach attractive. Okay. This, this is not what we are doing here. Let's get them playing. Let's get them engaged in the sport. Let's make sure they have fun, make sure they learn to compete, 
They learn they have to try to win. You are going to lose. You are going to win. It's a process. In, introduce all of that stuff. And, you know, eventually they can continue to build their skills. But it's not just about, you know, for example, in my sport, changing from three on three to five on five. Like when I coach professionals or when I coach university players, we do a lot of our teaching in three on three. And we do a lot of our competing in three on three and four on four and five on five and one on one. And like, it, it all depends on what is the best tool I can use to achieve the, the teaching outcome and the learning outcome uh, that I am trying to get right now. So we are doing it. I don't think we are doing it enough. And honestly, it's not because the people at our federations don't know. They know they're professionals. They get it right. Yeah. It's, it's the, the mom and the dad helping out with the 12 and under soccer team. Like they don't know, right? Like how could they know? So that's where we come in, right? That's where the people that do know should be uh, spreading the word and should be, you know, connecting with people. And, and that's, that's why I do what I do um, because I, I want to, to get the word out as much as possible to the people that aren't going to coaching courses that aren't going to, um, you know, try and move up the ranks and, 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 you know, coach a, 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 a provincial team or a state team or whatever, like they're coaching because their kids are playing. Well, I want to make sure that their kid and every other kid on that team is, is being helped as much as possible by that, by that experience in sport. And that starts with coaching coaches. You, you've, you've traveled the world. You've been here to Australia. You've, as you say, you've, you've, you've spent time in India and other parts Throughout those travels, what did what did you notice that was that was similar and was different? And why do you, how do you see it? How does the grassroots sporting community globally, in your view, does it have a response? How does it come together to make sure that we can help everybody um, right across the world uh, improve? Yeah, you know what i I think there are a ton of similarities. Um, the, the passion that people have for sport is universal, you know, um, just the love that they have for their sport or for the competition element or for the, the coaching elements. Um, you know, you, you don't need to be a professional coach, um, or a professional athlete to really make an impact on the life of a person that's in front of you. In fact, most people that you are going to impact, it's not going to be because, you know, you know all this stuff about a sport. It's, it's going to be because you cared about them and you cared enough about them to get to know them and to be invested in their success. And frankly, that's, like that's, that's being a good person, right? So, you know, I mean, if, if we boil it down, right? I mean, the, the coaching element is really about just trying to connect with people and, um, and help them succeed. And of course, you know, you have to be driven and competitive and you need to know your sport and you need to know how to teach and you need to, you know, all of these different things, of course, to, you need to do that. Um, but at its root, it's about connection and relationship and empowerment and, and teaching and mentoring. 
uh, and, uh, and that relationship that exists between the coach and the player. So, you know, these things are universal. They're universal. I've seen them firsthand in coaches all over the place. Um, and in every sport at every level. Uh, and in fact, it's, you know, it's almost more prevalent in the people that are really driven enough to work a full-time job, have a family, uh, you know, hobbies, all these things that they have that we all have in our lives, right? To whatever it is that we have going on, everyone's busy, right? Like we all have busy lives. They still rock up on a Friday night to help coach a, you know, a, a U16 fixture of, of rugby, you know, like they're still talking to their, to their athletes. They're still trying to educate themselves. Like that's love, man. Like that is, that's, that's not just love of the sport. That's love of the athlete. And that's just so inspirational to me. Um, so I think we have a responsibility as a, a grassroots community to not rely on this, here comes the agent of chaos, but to not rely on, you know, the formal systems, okay, to, to, to catch everyone because they just can't. It's not that, it's not they don't want to help as many people. As, of course they do, right? Because the vast majority of people are well-intentioned. They work hard, right? But there are just some inherent limitations there, right? So it's on us to say, all right, like, I'm not just going to look to you know, the, the state association or the national association or whatever, like I'm going to find other people that agree and that are connected to this cause of promoting sport, promoting healthy living, promoting participation, promoting empowerment, promoting good coaching and tra transformational leadership and all of this stuff that we believe strongly in you know what, I'm going to find my tribe, man. And, and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to work with people to, to make it into the small town, to make it into the small club, to make it into, you know, so that they can also benefit from that. Why would it only be someone in like a Western country that what that child that lives in, in another, that child needs the same thing. And you know, if we have resources, it's not just our children that that deserve good coaching, that deserve good mentoring. It's everyone. And it's not just coaches right in North America or New Zealand or Australia or Europe or you name it. It's not just those coaches that, you know, are working hard and that are passionate about what they're doing. It's all coaches. Mm -hmm. And. And that's why we have to, you know, that's why I do what I do. That's why I want to connect with as many coaches as possible. That's why I want to work with as many coaches as possible. That's why I want to help as many coaches as possible because it's, it's not feasible for one person or even a hundred coaches to coach every kid in the world. Yes. But if, if we all coach and mentor X number of other coaches, it just it spreads out. Right. And that's what I'm spending my time trying to do. So, Well, thank you, David, for being a part of the great sports debate. Kieran's got one last question, and it's normally, I'm hoping it's the one that he 
normally asks, but I don't know. But I'm going to go to Kieran anyway. Well, actually, no, Jerome. This one was at, because I because of this question I was actually going to want to ask. Um, I actually wanted to ask earlier on in the interview. You said okay. about the col. You said that um you're in the college system with um high performance and whatnot, and how they and how you were playing against um pretty much yourselves in um in the uh, training and whatnot. And now you're getting to the point there where you might be going into like another lockdownish um or period and whatnot how how has that affected not only you, you guys as a coaching staff or whatnot but but the players as well because i mean like there would have been players who would be in their last year of college and potentially might not even actually get to play again um and and like all that there how, how, how did the coaching staff deal with that there and like how did um geez, or how are you getting through that yeah, well, I can speak for, you know, the broad, I guess, in general terms about what our our collegiate system has been like uh, across the country. And, you know, ba- basically, we adopted a, a just a full stop uh, on post-secondary sport in Canada. Um, we have two main um, associations, basically, uh, and they both, they both, just ceased activity um, early on. There was no competitive season uh, for anyone. And um, we've been fortunate in British Columbia, there has not been a lockdown uh, in the same way uh, as um, in other in other places. And so training was, you know, there were training bubbles and, and so, you know, programs were continuing to, to, to practice. And I think that regular physical activity was positive for everyone that was able to do so. Um, there are some exceptions in our protocols for high-performance athletes like national team athletes or what we call carded athletes that are identified by our, our sport agencies. Um, so th- those people have been able to train. We've had some higher level hockey competition that has happened. Um, you know, because of just the way they've been able to organize themselves and because of the nature of the sport of ice hockey. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a struggle, I think, for all of us across the system. Um, you know, my staff this past year has been fantastic. Uh, and, um, you know, I really appreciate all of the work that, that they've done at, at, uh, that they did this year at um, just being available to our, our athletes. And, you know, the, I think everyone just appreciated the, the chance to get into, get into the gym, so to speak. Um, and uh, I, I know it's going to be a process. I think everybody knows it's going to be a process. I think we're kind of, you know, we're coming into the summer and so vaccination is picking up. I think everyone's kind of hopeful for what the summer is going to bring. Um, but um everyone needs to, to stay the course and, and uh, you know, the, the, our game basketball, it's not 36 minutes long. It's 40 minutes long. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta play to the end. You gotta play to the end. You know, you can't, you can't get right to the end of, of, of the game and kind of let up, you got to finish strong. And so that's where we're kind of at right now, where we are, we got to finish strong with, with everything that we've got going on with COVID. Karen, I know you yeah, already um, asked the question to finish. So, what? I mean, my sport and non-sport is that, or is yeah, that oh, really? got another question in the deck? No, oh, oh well, trust me, trust me, trust me. I, I would have tons, but we'd be here till the cows come home. But um, 
But just to but just to end off, we normally have like a I normally have a little segment called sport and non-sport. What are you looking forward to in sport, and what are you looking forward to in non-sport for the week? Um, so uh, what's your one for, for 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 this one, Dave? Before we let you go. Yeah. So for look, what I'm looking forward to in the in the week to come. Yeah. 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 Okay. Or until you come back on. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, well, I mean, non-sport for me, we've got some some big family stuff happening, right? Like it's my, my daughter's turning four. Uh, my wedding anniversary is coming up uh, in May. You know, our, our son's turning uh, seven in June. You know, oh, wow. this is a lot, a lot of stuff happening. I, we've been so fortunate to, to spend a lot of time together. And I mean, we're, we're really privileged, obviously, that our situations here have been, have been, um, I've been, you know, safe and whatnot. So I'm just going to keep enjoying all the family time, man. And, and I'm looking forward to some of these milestones that are, uh, you know, kind of around the corner. Our, our little girl is real excited to turn four. So uh, awesome. that's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And then from a sport perspective, um, you know what? I, I, I'm actually, one of the things I do is I coach a 17 and under team uh, as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing how these guys develop. Uh, and uh, they've, they've kind of gone like that over the last little bit. They've really made some progress. It's been cool to see. So um, I'll update you next time about uh, whether or not they're still, they're still kicking, but I'm looking forward to getting back on the court with those guys. Sweet. And just, and just quickly tip for the Olympics in the, in the basketball. What? Well, I mean, first of all, I, I have to say, I hope that the Canadian men qualify. Um, and uh, we our, our team took a hit there when Jamal Murray tore his ACL a couple of days ago. He's, uh, he's a really good player, and it was really tough to see that happen. But uh, I hope our men qualify. But I'm actually going to talk about our women, because our women are amongst the top teams in the world. And, um, are, uh, like they're really a fun, fun program, a fun team. I I'm going out and I'm going to say like, we're going to win a medal. Uh, our women's team is going to win a medal and, uh, I'm super pumped to watch them compete. And, uh, you know, they, the women's program has really done a great job for a long time to build, build, build. And, um, you know, knowing some of the coaches, some of the previous coaches that have been, you know, uh, really impactful on my life as well, and seeing where that's gone, where the program has gone, man, like I, I'm, I'm super proud that they are Team Canada, our women's uh, national basketball team. So I'm going to go out and say, man, like we're going to win a medal and um, should be a fun, should be a fun tournament. Well, David, thank you for coming on the show today. I think Thank you for having. It's been great having you, and we will have you on again without doubt, because there's a there's a lot to talk about in in, yes, in all, aspects of, all aspects of sport. And and from a from a uh, BG Sports Global point of view, we're going to be barracking for the South African national men's hockey team at the Olympics. So why shouldn't we barrack for the Canadian <laughs> women's basketball team as well? While we're barracking for Australia, yep. obviously we don't want them yeah, to take, take any medals away from Australia, but um, of course. <laughs> we'll still be cheering them on. So, again, David, thank you for being on today's show and participating in this great sports debate with us. No, thanks, I appreciate guys. it. Yeah, thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Jerome. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I, I just want to say to everyone listening, 
you know, everything that, that you are doing in the sporting world, it matters, you know, keep, keep, keep working and, uh, keep, keep your passions, you know, where they are. And, uh, you know, if, if I can be of any help, I mean, I really just encourage everyone to reach out, uh, and, uh, and contact me, um, you know, I'd love to connect with as many people as possible and, and just grow, grow, uh, sport and, uh, grow coaching um you know in any way i can so thank you for having me on i'd love to come back again it was a lot of fun and uh appreciate you guys and just to let everybody know david's done some things already with us at big g sports global we spoke to a group of hockey coaches in cape town um is i think you're, you're in the middle of planning um some coaching stuff uh, for a group in russia so you know it's it's this is this is it guys it's it's all about sharing knowledge and sharing uh, information around the world. And, and it is, you know, Zoom makes it so much easier to be able to achieve, achieve that. So, yes, totally agree. And it's only the beginning. Thanks again, yeah. David. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, then that I, I tell you, Dave, David really knows how to spell. I mean, like, I mean, just just hearing him talk, he sounded like a motive, like a, a motivational speaker. I was I was going to say, but you could, but really, it was he. He spoke really good, very knowledgeable, very good. And you know what? I think I actually might um back for the Canadian uh, women's basketball team. I mean. Uh, along well, with, we're going to be barricading the South Africa. African men's hockey team because we want to see them do oh, the yes. So, you know, we want to see along them. Along with Australia. Along with Australia, of oh, course. Of course because, but you know, that's what sport's about. That's what sport's about. Yeah. about. We, we tend to think here in Australia, we tend to get a bit one-eyed. We tend to think it's mm. only about Australia. But when you get to a thing like the Olympics, we forget what the Olympics is actually about. We forget what sport's actually about. It's not just about, it's not about winning gold medals. Yeah, gold medals are great. Um, medals are great. feel good stories. It's about it's about participation. It's about competing. It's about being there. It's about experiencing. And we often forget that. And we often forget that when we're talking to young people. You know, we need to we need to remember that. You know, no one takes up sport because they want to win a gold medal. They take up sport because they love it. Um, when they particularly when they're young kids, and I always say this to um, to young kids out there that are struggling that are having a bit of a difficult time of it, that are playing, you know, maybe got re- maybe they're in youth and they're in their teenage years and they've been rejected a couple of times for state teams and all this, and they're struggling. And I say to them, why did you pick, why did you start playing hockey or cricket or whatever it is? And they say to me, because I loved it. And I said, well, you just got to remember that. Go back and remember that. You didn't pick. And even the professional. And even the professionals, they always say that, like, um, when they take time away or, the, or like, they found their love for the game again, you know, like, like yeah. that's what they um, always say there. And, yeah. Like, We're seeing it right now over in Narrambeen. Mick Fanning's just returned to – he's returning as a yes. wildcard in, in, in surfing over in Narrambeen in Sydney this, week, this weekend. So, you know, and he's been out of it for a while. He's had a kid. He's had – well, his, his wife's had a, a baby. You know, so, that, yeah, it's important. It's important to remember those things. It's important to remember that's what we do it for. Uh, it's for passion. And, and, and I hope Mick does well. I hope he has a great uh, World Surfing League event. Um, wish him well. But, 
Anyway, looking around at some of the quick topics before we wrap up today. Just, just one, just, just one thing before I got to say. I got to say, Jerome, did you see the final? New South Wales versus WA. Did you see the? Yeah, final, and New mate? South Wales deservedly won. WA didn't bat well. They bowled better, but they didn't bat well. Um, so and New South and Wales actually, winners. Can I say this now? I'm actually happy, Jack Edwards. Um, had actually scored a hundred in that final because, as a Sydney Sixers fan and also as a New South um, Wales fan, um, uh, New South Wales boy, Jack Edwards copped a, has been copping a lot. I mean, like he was pretty much like the, the the whipping boy for the Sixers and even for New South Wales as to why he was getting picked. Um, why you know um, everyone asking why is he getting picked and and so forth and just to see him get a hundred in a final. I'm actually glad, you know, like um, I, I'm absolutely stoked that he got it. And to be honest, Australia, and to be honest, New South Wales won. And also, I got to, I also got to have a good little dig at you too, Jerome, there because uh, you said last week New, WA was going to win. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, as I'll bring up in a few little minutes, you know, things aren't going so well for you in Queensland right now. Uh, oh yeah, no, 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 we're not going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that game that Queensland have won. It. I'll say that now. Um, I'll say that now. Unless a miracle quickly, happens. Just quickly, I need to interrupt here because I want to apologise to all our fans on Facebook uh, who normally watch our Facebook live. For some reason, the feed on Facebook's not come through today. Now it could be something that's been done at our end, or it could be something that Facebook has done at their end. Um, I hasten to guess it might be something Facebook's done at their end because they've been mucking around with a live uh, restreaming service again. So there's a possibility. So that's why yeah. my so that's why a notification didn't come out on my phone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, I, I, I was waiting feel, for I've the got a feeling. I've got a feeling what might have happened, Kieran, is that uh, Facebook have been playing around with their live stream and how you cross stream. Uh, and yep. you restream, and I think what's happened is that they're not matching. They've been fiddling around with it, and the result is that sometimes it buggers up. This is what Facebook does. They go and change things on you, and the next thing you know, you've got to do another step. Anyway, moving on from that. So apologies to that, but we will put this. This will go up on Facebook. You will be able to watch it through Big G Sports Global TV. It will be there as well. So yes. You can see it. Um, and we will make sure yes. of that. But, Let's talk some of the things that have been happening. We haven't got a lot to talk about, but we'll do, we do have a couple of things. The Shield final, not looking good for New South Wales. Didn't bat well in the first innings. Um, mind you, mind you, uh, I'm just going to check to see where things are at. Um, in saying they didn't bat oh. well in the first innings, you've got to see how Queensland's doing. Um, I think they were three for 70-odd, last time I checked. Wow. Well, interesting. Uh, Queensland are one for 147, so... Um, yeah, one for yeah, ship's probably well, uh, yeah. yeah, the ship's probably sailed there. Um, but you never know. Uh, Shield finals are strange things. They're five day cricket, so they can turn around very quickly. Let's have a look at the scoreboard. Well, you know, happening. Queensland's in the yeah. I mean, like Queensland's in the box set. I mean, even if it's a draw, Queensland win it. So, I mean, New South Wales really, really needed to get off to a really good start in the first day. They they needed. Because it was a five-day match, they need to get at least 300 or at least, like, they need to get at least 300 minimum um, or just, yeah, bat for maybe a day and a bit because it was a three-day, because it was a five-day match. Um, and then Queensland, you know, I mean, I mean, Queensland can just bat for, in all honesty, Queensland well, can actually bat, they what, can't. day two today? They can't. Bonus point. What? 
The Shield final yeah, go to the team. The Shield final doesn't go to the team that finishes on top. It's decided if there's no result, it's decided on bonus points. So Queensland actually can't go on and on and on in their first innings because they need to make sure they get more bonus points than New South Wales out of the first innings to make sure they secure the final. So um, they won't be able to bat. But wouldn't on they just? But wouldn't they just be the same there? I mean, if they bat it on and on and on. I mean, like for instance, if they get like let's say if it's. 300, let's say if it's how many, many runs they get in 100 overs, if they just keep batting on and on and on and they get, what, 400 in four overs, New South Wales got 147. Yeah, got got sure, what it is, Kieran, they've got to make sure they have, have more runs in that first 100 overs of bonus points than, than Queensland so that they've got more bonus points than Queensland. So, but, you know, and they've got to remember that you get more points for wickets than you do for runs. So they've got to remember... And that's very important that they make sure New South Wales doesn't get a heap of wickets. But at the moment, at one for 147, with Marcus Labuschagne Labuschagne on 82, not out. Lamus is, Marcus, Marnus is looking pretty good at 82, not out. So at the moment, Mm. it's Queensland's final. But remember, uh, drawn final doesn't automatically go to the team that fishes at home, so they'll need to make sure they secure... That's what I just said. Didn't I just say that there? I mean, like, couldn't they just bat for just, you know, all day, day three, and then day four? No, because it'll... it'll, it'll, Bonus point. They've got to make sure their bonus points are safe and secured. So they won't... Well, you would assume because they bowled them out. You would have assumed because they bowled them out for 143. Yeah. 143 in the first inning. Yeah, but in 2019, when the Shield final was played, um, between New South Wales and Victoria, similar scenario. Victoria didn't, New South Wales didn't score well in the first innings. Um, Victoria, That's a stupid rule. Well, I understand why it came in because you had scenarios occurring. Uh, and you've got to remember this that ever since the Shield finals existed since 1982 83, it's only been won by the visiting team on a handful of occasions. Um, and I think it also came in because you had this, you had this, you had a period there where Victoria were doing, were being a bit shonky where, where they were hosting the final. Um, if you recall, Victoria hosted the final down in Hobart against WA on a wicket that was basically designed for both teams and both teams scored tons of runs and the game was over. So I think that's why this came in. Um, because of, of that, what was happening. Whereas if you go back into the 80s and 90s, Shield finals were often very competitive and there was a result in five days because both teams were trying to win it. Um, but in recent times, in more recent times, uh, that wasn't happening. So I think that's why that it was brought in. Whether I agree with it or not... Um, i got one simple solution to that. team that finishes on top should get an advantage of being the host for the final. But the concern I have... I've got a simple solution. Yeah. I've got a simple solution for it. The team that finishes uh, first at the end of the regular season wins the minor wins the minor premiers. Then the then when it then comes to the final for the top two teams, if it's a draw at the end of the final, they become joint winners. Simple as that. Yeah. That, well, way, it, that way it forces teams to actually say, you know what? We actually we don't want to be joint winners here at a draw. Let's actually try and win it. Or you go all the way back to the way it was before they introduced the Shield final. You reintroduce a much stronger bonus point system. Um, 
which they did in the 1970s and the early 80s. And the team that finishes on top wins the Sheffield Shield. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd rather that. Well, yeah, look, and, and yeah. that's actually what they did last year because of COVID. But the reality is, is in the past, in the past, if you go back before the Shield final, um, just for a little bit of history before we, we move on, Sheffield Shields often came down to the last week of the season. That's how close it often was. And it was normally that close. Four teams could win the Shield in the last round. In fact, in one year, I think it might have been the 1981 season, all six states, all five states, or whatever it was at the time, could have won the Sheffield Shield that year. That's how close it was based on outrights and bonus points and all of that. So you didn't need a final to make it competitive. Now you have a final. So, you know, whether, whether we've, whether, I don't know, whether we've, the Shield is something, really, in reality, the Shield is something that probably doesn't need a final. It probably doesn't need it. It probably, it was introduced originally as a bit of a, a showcaser. Um, and, yeah, maybe when the Test players were there, because you've got to remember that back in, back when, it, more often than not, the Test players were always available for it. So you always had big names playing in the Shield mm. final. Um, whether the Shield needs that now, I don't know. Whether it could go back to what it used to be, probably could. But anyway, that's that's a topic for another. Anyway, yeah, that's a topic another for another day. Well, another day. here we are again. Cricket's added. Cricket has the same thing again, the same issues again. Integrity has bobbed up. Integrity has become an issue of the game. Heath Street's just been banned for eight years for corruption due to gambling and betting. Really? Yeah, providing providing information to bookmakers. Jesus, um, I mean, he's just I'll been say, here for eight years. Yeah, I'll say this now: this would put Zimbabwe cricket back a while because, like, he was, he was, wasn't he? During, I mean, like, I mean, like, obviously Zimbabwe weren't a very strong nation, but like him, Brendan Taylor, they were really the golden boys of um, Zimbabwe cricket. Like, 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 they were one of their best. I mean, like, well, I mean, you got to remember, he was head coach of Zimbabwe. And he's assistant coach in the IPL. So Which he's team? got a lot of involvement with, with Zimbabwean cricket. He runs uh, academies in community. He's got his name on academies and communities in Zimbabwe. Um, so here we are again. But here we are again. And it's and it comes down to one simple fact. It comes down to one simple fact, and that's that's to do with the integrity of the sport. And here we are again. The sport's got a problem. It, it needs to address its the situation because this this keeps going. And I and I have to say it, India needs to address the situation because this is an Indian bookmaker yet again. They need to address it. They need to actually crack down because this clearly is 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 continuing to be a problem. And but if, I think it also, but but I think it also kind of shows. I don't want to. I I I don't want to defend the bookmaker, but I think it also kind of shows where Zimbabwe cricket were at as oh, well. No, don't get me wrong. Because the good news, the good for, news. because because for the golden because like I'm going to call him and Brendan Taylor the golden boys um, until the end of this stream. For someone like Heath Street, who was a golden, who was who was a golden child for Zimbabwe cricket, like one of their best players in that team. To be going to a bookmaker and to, uh, to try and get money 
like I mean to to do what he's done and to get money like uh, that there kind of says to me more so of what the Zimbabwe where Zimbabwe cricket is. It also says to you also, where the ICC is at. So. Yeah, and also where the ICC is is that as well. So like like. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just or, or the bookmaker. I'm just sort of saying that you can also sort of see that Zimbabwe cricket kind of needs more help um, than oh, what yeah. it's actually getting oh, in I, regards I, I, to helping I, its players. I think the point you've got to ask yourself is: we've had Hansi Cronje, we've had issues with with the Pakistani bowlers and the no balling and all of that. We've had yeah, other ones come along. We had the Warren and War scenario come along. Um, and we don't really know what went on there. Wasn't um, there New Zealand ones, Chris Cairns and Lou Vincent? Yeah, and that was and that was an Indian bookmaker. That turned out that that was someone else. Um, I could have gotten the names wrong. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, you were right. Were. You're right. You're right. And now we and again here we are. And and I just think it comes down. You're right. There's two things. It comes down to Zimbabwean cricket. Comes down to the ICC. He's had an eight year ban. I don't think that's enough. I think in this case it should have been life. I think you've got to get tough, really tough. And the only way you can get really tough is to say, look, this is not tolerable. This is not acceptable. You can't do this. Um, Do you think also, this might seem a little bit weird, but because he was from such a lower nation and he got eight years, do you think that if it was someone from, let's say, a higher tiered nation, like say from an Australia or a New Zealand who got life banned, it would actually create more of a well, shockwave? Or do you think- eight, there's probably an argument that eight years is virtually life ban anyway. So anyway, it's 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 not good news. And 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 cricket, I suppose cricket will argue, well, at least we caught it. But that's not the point. You don't catch it after the fact. You need to stop it from actually happening. You need to stop temptation. That's what you need to do. You don't actually... Catching it after the fact is not much. Is it's pointless? You've actually got to stop the temptation before it occurs. And we're going to have. We've been talking to your friend who's who's done studies on this, and we are actually going to have a program on this. And we're going to have have him on, and we're going to have a serious discussion about gambling and sport because it is a significant issue, and it, and it needs it needs more than just a few minutes to be spoken about. Um, but here we, as I say, here we are again, and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Um, you know, cricket will sort itself out. But cricket's not the only sport that needs to learn from this. Tennis refuses to deal with this matter. Tennis just refuses to deal with this matter. It knows it's got problems and refuses to deal with it. Um, you know, it, it puts its head in the sand when it comes to this stuff. So, you know, um, we're a long way away from uh, on, on this issue. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a passionate believer that sport has to, if, if sport is dinkum, um, it has to get serious. But anyway, moving on. AFL, AFLW Grand Final this weekend. Adelaide Crows, Brisbane Lions. Uh, who's your tip, mate? Adelaide Crows, you know, yet another Grand Final. Um, wasn't this? Uh, wasn't this like like? Isn't this like a replay of what happened in one of the first two AFLW original finals? Grand Final replay? Yeah, the, the original. Well, I haven't seen much of the AFLW. I I I so I really don't know who. Um, but I, maybe you would say look. Look, you got to beat uh, Chicago. I mean, you got to beat um, the top, the best teams in Chicago. You always got to play through Chicago. So I'm going to go with the Crows. I think the, the Crows, Crows will, have been. I agree. I think the Crows will win it. I think that'll that'll be, and that'll be their second premiership. 
Uh, so a fairly good achievement. Um, there are others that are tipping that Brisbane could win it. I think the Crows will win it. It's at home. It's the Adelaide Oval. I think the conditions favour the Crows. They're talking about a big crowd there on there on the weekend, which is fantastic for the game. Uh, and good luck to both teams. Let's let's hope it's the extravagant. Yeah. It's the big occasion that it needs to be. Um, looking further on, um, I'll skip over the last. There's two here, but I want to leave them to last. So I'm going. I'm going to turn our attention to golf and to the Masters. Uh, yes, uh, let's actually not win. let's fantastic win. Yeah, yeah. Let's not talk much about the Masters because I'm going to be doing a special. Uh, I know that. Um, I know. I know everyone outside the lines with Kieran is back. It's going to be coming back soon. I've got a friend who is an absolute golf um, nut and whatnot. He and I are going to be doing a a video. We're going to be talking about the Masters and whatnot. But let me just say this now. Matsuyama, he absolutely, he, 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 he arguably, you take away Rose's seven under on the first day, Matsuyama just led it all the way through. He yeah. was second, he was second, he was, he was, and then he then went first, and he then went third. He just, he just knew what he needed to do. And yeah. I, I'm actually glad that someone from Japan, absolutely, someone from Japan oh, actually won it because. Because, because not only do I love the Japanese culture, I love the Japanese culture, but I'm actually glad at the fact that someone from Japan won it because it's now leading into the Olympics that is in Tokyo and golf is part of the Olympics in Tokyo. So it's like this here could actually boost up golf in Japan. It could actually... Golf at the end of the year could be could be one of Japan's number one sports. Uh, like by the end of the year, it could be one of its most popular sports come the end of the year because it's of now, mate. yeah. But it could be like more popular than than what it already is. I mean, I mean, like there's baseball and um, there's like like there's baseball, soccer. Um, um, I'm trying to think of the other. I'm trying to think of the other sport because I was talking. Anyway, there's like there's like a couple more sports before golf and i definitely do think that that um it will um help skyrocket it because even the commentators even said the the atmosphere of the olympics when matsuyama plays for japan in tokyo for the olympics it is going to be yeah it'll be like no it'll be like playing in india on a test wicket. It'd be like that. That is, that is like the only way on how I could describe it. Well, congratulations to him. And look forward. To, we look forward to your episode of outside the lines where you go a little bit more in depth with everything that's going on. In well, the, yeah, well, life. we're going to, well, well, me and Marty, we're going to try and do a day by day. We're going to try and talk for, for an hour. And we're going to try and do all the days and then talk about the Australians and also talk about yep. um, everyone look else. Forward. We're going to try to, just that he's just been busy and I've been busy as well. So we're going we to try and get to it in the next week or two. We look forward to that dropping on, on, on the channel. Um, here's an interesting one. We have another Hewitt on the tennis scene. Yes. Cruz Hewitt. Yes. Cruz Hewitt won the Australian Clay Court Under-12s Championships this week. So there you go. We have another Hewitt. And apparently, apparently... Come on. Apparently he's exactly like dad. So oh, he plays like dad, yes. looks like dad. Does um, he do to come on? Yeah, apparently Does he, he did to come on. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Everything's there. 
tennis has been missing someone like I mean, like ever since Hewitt's retired. He, obviously, well, he is under twelve, mate. I know that he's under twelve. That, but I'm just sort of saying they're missing that 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 character of someone that that would just like to come on, you know? Because like I actually hope that Cruz. No pressure on the kid if he keeps going and whatnot and goes into dad's footsteps. Who knows? He might not might not want to fulfill dad's footsteps. Might be like, yeah, nah, yeah, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do something else. But if he does, you know, if, you know, he's got some good pedigree there. Well, I, I believe one of the other two might be a um, – I think the daughter might be a bit of a mad golfer. So we might have a Hewitt in golf yet. Um, and I could be talking about her on Outside the Lines. True. Later in years to come. Now, the last one, the last one, and I want to bring this up. Well, actually, last two, but I do want to bring this up. Um, I read this the other day and I was looking through. Um, congratulations. This is amazing. Congratulations to the Lilydale Football Club in northern Tasmania. Um, they turn 100 this week. They turn 100 this weekend. They've got their 100th birthday celebrations you know, congratulations to them. Fantastic achievement for a club to be 100 years old. Um, that is a fantastic achievement. So congratulations to the Lilydale Football Club in Tasmania. That's AFL, not the round ball game, for turning 100 this 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 weekend. And, and we wish them a very happy birthday and hopefully their celebrations are fantastic uh, and they have a great time down. They have a great time with their celebrations this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I mean, um, I, I got nothing more to say for that there. I mean, I mean, a hundred years, that's like, that's like, wow. I mean, um, does that mean, does that mean that they might, uh, does that mean that they might get accident second? Nah, 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 nah. I'll, I'll that say means that they, they might get a letter from the Queen. No, don't work like that. I was gonna, no, I was gonna say that there, but then after the, but then after what happened recently, I was just about to say, I said, no, no, no. And, and in touching on that, we just, a couple of last things. Um, commiserations to and and that to the to the royal family on the passing of, yeah. of the Duke of Edinburgh. Um, he did have a bit of involvement with sport through the Duke of Edinburgh Award over many many years and other things. So um, you know, sad to see his passing. Uh, and he was, tremendous. And he was a lovable character. Tremendous innings, 99 not out, the same average as Bradman. Um, mm. So tremendous, tremendous, uh, tremendous uh, uh, life. Uh, and the other thing is we want to do a bit of Can I, just say, can I yeah. just say as well, like he, he was he was a lovable character. I mean, um, everyone to whom I've even spoken to and whatnot just absolutely loved Prince Philip. He was actually one of those people there to which everyone even said that they wished he got to a hundred in the sense that he was the one that deserved it. He, you know, he done everything for, he done everything for her majesty um, and, you know, just commiserations to the family and uh, yeah. Um, in this uh, sad, um, in this sad time with them. And the last final thing before we do a non-sport sport for this week, um, I just want to big send a big shout out to the sporting community in the Northern up near Northampton and all through uh, Monk, um, all through Calberry and, and those areas and Geraldton. It's it's difficult time from the moment with the cyc- the tropical cyclone that's just gone through, a lot of loss of power. You know, I know Geraldton hockey this weekend, I'm not even sure whether their season's gonna their games are gonna be able to get underway this weekend due to the fact that there's no power. 
Um, there's a lot of issues there. So I hope that those communities are able and those sporting clubs in those communities are able to get on their feet quickly um, because we know how important that uh, community clubs play, the importance they play in these regional cities and towns around Australia. So let's hope they can get back on their feet quickly so that, you know, sport can and can get underway. And and um also we also need to think about you know the people over there also in as we were talking before the show over there in India you know because they've had another um COVID outbreak and they've and they've gone into another lockdown um well they might be going into another lockdown as well so um yeah uh, just just um everything that's going on in the world you know so yeah we just need to give them as well um a little bit of um our love as well. We just got to remember that this isn't over that the pandemic mm. is not finished with yet. We might be on a downward swing, and, and I, I like most others, will have a vaccine when it becomes available. Um, but we've just got to remember that this isn't over yet, and we've still got to continue to do what we have been doing, and we've got to remain vigil. We might believe we're safe here in Australia, but we're not by any means anywhere up anywhere. So, you know, I just say to the sporting community out there, you know, keep doing the things that you ne- you've been doing, keep doing all those things that you've been doing. And really we should keep doing them even after the pandemic is over because a lot of a lot of what was inter- implemented is just common sense hygiene and common sense um, practice that, you know, we should be looking yeah. to do. So over to you, Kieran, for the last part of the show, which is our traditional finish to the show. Well, as we already got Dave's uh, sport and non-sport, I mean, your sport, your sport and non-sport there last week, mate. What what was your sport and sport non last week? Oh, uh, I think I was talking a little bit about Claremont. Claremont were playing South Fremantle, mm-hmm. and I was looking forward to seeing yeah. how they go. And they won. They beat South, so congratulations to the Tigers. Um, it was a good win, really good win. Um, in the end, um. And people say, oh, well, they've got revenge for last year's grand final. Well, you don't really get revenge for the grand final until you actually get back to the next that, Yeah. Get back to the next one and win it. So I don't hold with that, but it was a good result for Claremont. Um, didn't get to the golf <laughs> last <laughs> week. The weather intervened in regards to that. Hopefully get back to that uh, soon. But um, I can't remember the non-sport. Oh. <laughs> uh. We'll have to write them down for we'll have to write them down. But yeah, but my sport my sport one was, you know, the Masters, you know, and I'm I'm gonna do another I'm gonna do a video with that there and you know, congratulations again to uh um Matsuyama. I'm not gonna pronounce his first name because I'll because I'll, because I'll butcher Yugeki. it. And Higeki. Yugeki Matsuyama. I thought it was I thought it was Higeki anyway. It's yeah, something like that. <laughs> anyway, and 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 um, anyway, that's why I said I. That's why I said I'm not going to say it because I'll, I'll probably butch it. But um, one on sport, you know, was to spend time with the family, and that's exactly what I did. Um, got to you know, got to spend some time, got quality time there with the family, um, even though they probably didn't like it because, uh, as you know, me, Jerome, you know, I'm a I'm a bounce, um, I'm a bouncy, bubbly personality. So um, <laughs> you don't we know that? <laughs> but anyway, mate, what's your sport and on sport for this week? Sport-wise, oh, that's an interesting one. Um, yeah. Uh, well, obviously, looking forward to um, today, we we officially launched Big G Sports Global uh, TV and me, TV and media. 
which is the TV chat, the TV channel. So officially launched that a few hours time. Um, so that that will, will launch the website and people will be able to watch through there as well, uh, which is fantastic. And this is for grassroots. So you got to watch it there. This is for grassroots sport globally. What we're doing here. This is not for. This is not for big sport. This is not for. You know, yeah, we will cover. There will be bits, but the, you know, we, our main focus is on, you know, obviously help. We will, we 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 will cover big sporting events, but we're also trying to focus more so on the grassroots. Correct. Um, so that's coming a little bit later. But in terms of the weekend, obviously, it'd be good to see, good to get back to the golf course on Sunday, and cover the junior golf. We haven't been there for a few weeks, so it'd be good to get back out there, um, and see how those young golfers are going. The weather in Perth is going to be good for the weekend. So it'll be good to do that. Uh, Non-sport wise, um, what's coming up next week? Not really sure, actually. Oh, probably, you know, spending time doing some other stuff and uh, obviously need to catch up with some, probably need to catch up with some people. So that will possibly happen. Through the week, was meant to catch up. Particularly, one guy was meant to catch up with on Wednesday, but it didn't happen. So, we hopefully next week, maybe. Um, But yeah, so that's it from mine. Well, my sport for this week, to what I'm looking forward to, is actually happening tonight um, in the NRL: Roosters versus the Storm. You know, I think that that game is absolutely going to be an absolute uh, blinder of a game. You know, I mean. Arguably two best fullbacks in the game at the moment, um, other than South Sydney's Latrell Mitchell in Ryan Pappenhausen and James Tedesco playing off against each other. Um, you know, so like I'm really um, excited. And, you know, I mean, and, and you know, um, my non-sport is, um, is um, I've actually got to go, I've actually got to do a few, I've got to do a few things around the house. You know, I've got to do some renovations and I've got to, I've actually got to, I've actually got to do, do my handyman stuff and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually looking forward to, uh, to uh, doing a, doing a bit of that there. I mean, um, now that it's getting a lot cooler, I can actually now start doing the, uh, yes, yeah, uh, start doing some things, start doing some work around the house and uh, uh, for the family and whatnot. And um, yeah, sure thing and sure thing and doomsday. You know, so like your tip for in NRL or AFL can be any game and your doomsday. Oh, sure thing. Um, oh, I think my sure thing is AFLW Grand Final. I think the Adelaide Crows will win and they'll probably win quite comfortably in the end. Um, yeah, so that's probably my sure thing. Uh, from a doomsday point of view, I think Nathan Buckley's in trouble. I think if Collingwood lose this weekend, I Are they think... I think, yeah, I think, I'm not sure who they're playing. Um, but I think if Collingwood lose this weekend, the drum beats <coughs> that have already sort of started are really going to start and there will be a lot of questions. Collingwood don't often sack their coaches mid-season. Uh, it doesn't tend to happen. But I think in this case, you're going to see, you're going to see a very, very strong drum beat occurring if they particularly don't win this weekend. And um, I think you could be facing a scenario within about within another three weeks where, you know, Nathan is seriously contemplating his future at Collingwood and whether he needs to announce that he's stepping down as coach. So I think this is a pivotal game for Collingwood this weekend coming. Oh, they are. They're playing West Coast here in Perth. Mm. I think it's a pivotal game. Um, If they can't win it, 
which is going to be hard to win, although they do do well over here. As we know, yeah, I, think drum, I think those drum beats that have begun are just going to get louder and louder and louder. And, uh, yeah, I think the news won't be good for him if, if that occurs. And I think probably by round 10, there's a very, I think for the very first, probably one of the very first times in Claremont's history, in Claremont, Collingwood's history. Collingwood. Collingwood's history, you could have a scenario where a coach steps up to the microphone and announces that he's, he's stepping down mid-season. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I mean, look, I'm, I've been watching uh, most of the footy in the AFL and I tell you what, I mean, some of the teams there, uh, the, it's been very high scoring, but, you know, that's, that's another discussion there for another time and, um, you know, the rules and the games. My look, my look, my sure thing. Uh, oh, my sure thing. I actually, I actually can't pick a sure thing because, because, because I, my sure thing was either, actually. You know what? My sure thing is that the Roosters and the Storm game is going to be an absolute classic. That's my sure thing. Doomsday. My my beloved West Tigers get thumped again. Yeah, they're in a bit of a flat spot. Another thumping. I mean, I'll say this now. The first, the, look, I'll say this now. The second 40 minutes, I actually even said when the West Tigers were making a comeback, we did not, de- if we won it, we did not deserve to win it against the Cowboys. The way how they played in that first half was absolutely, absolutely the worst, considering from what happened, considering that it was Tommy Radonikus's match at our beloved Leichhardt and they put up that performance in the first 40 minutes. I was like, no, nah, we don't even deserve to win if they, um, if, if they manage to come back to win it. We're now playing South this weekend, and I'm saying to you this now, South will obviously beat us. Like, like I'm saying, actually, you know what? My sure thing for this weekend is probably South is potentially going to beat us. But... but hey, To all the South Sydney fans out there, I think Kieran's just put the marker on us. Well, it's a win-win for me because if South end up winning, then, you know, I'm right with my short thing. But if South end up losing, then my Tigers win. But anyway, but, but South are more likely going to win that one against the Tigers. But if it's a 50-point but, but thumping and whatnot, I'll say this now. Start cutting, you know what? Start cutting the people. Start cutting the players. It's, it, it, it's, I mean, like Madge said, Madge did swing the axe with Jacob Little. I think it's now time that, you know, after this weekend, it's, uh, you know, if this, this is my doomsday. If it's another thumping against particularly South Sydney, who is red hot, let's face it. Latrell Mitchell, Adam Reynolds, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I'm not sure if uh, Cody Walker's back or not, or, or Betty, or, or even still Benji Marshall, who a club legend who we let go, and then Damian Cook. Against that line up there, if if they if if we don't put in fight, and they and they absolutely dumpers South Sydney, then it's time to just swing the axe. It's time to just cut the head off the snake and say, all right, we're picking another half. We're we're picking another. We're 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 getting rid of not just another half back. We're getting rid of another. We're getting rid of the whole team. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. It's yeah. going to be an interesting weekend in sport all around Australia and around the world. Um, thank you to David for joining us today on the show. Thank you once again, Kieran, for being a part of the Great Sports Debate. And we look forward to no seeing worries, you again next Friday for another Great Sports Debate. Thanks, everybody. Peace out.